Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Lords of Limited. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, is Ethan Sachs. Ethan, this is going to be my last recording from the Greenwood apartment. I know, yeah. Ben picked up his U-Haul truck this morning, packing up everything this afternoon, and just moving on out, onward and upward to bigger and better things. Onward and upward, as they say. How do you feel? Moving stresses me out so hard. I'm okay. I've been doing it in small batches because I've had to drive back and forth to my hometown quite a bit. So really, like the only stuff left to move is two beds, my washer dryer, and a couple couches. So it's just like big stuff that's going to go in the U-Haul. But like the smaller packing and that stuff is all like down in my new apartment. Like I participated in the Wizards Modern Horizons 2 pre-release party this weekend. Speaking of, um, sponsored by Channel Fireball, which was a blast. But I got my six packs from Channel Fireball that they mailed me. <laughs> yeah. And then I was building my deck and I was like, oh my God, I don't have any basics because I'd already moved all my magic cards to my new apartment. So I had to do the drive of shame to my LGS to buy, you know, 20 basic lands or whatever. Did they charge you for it? They did. It was five cents each. Wow. Wow. No, And no like content creator bump, no little look, I'll tell the people out there that you sponsored my deck with 20 basics. I don't think I'm that hashtag famous. I didn't bring it up. (laughs) You didn't try to play the Mr. Metronome card? That's crazy. All right. Uh, How'd it go? How did uh, your deck perform last night? It was good. It was a blast. Um, I played like a five color base blue red deck. I had Subtlety as my mythic rare. And I also had Asmiranda Kardakanistadakuldakar or however you say it. I can't do it. I can do it with the card in front of me. I practiced for the event, but I can't do it without the card in front of me. I feel like it's knowing like some number of digits of pi, like 3.14 is equal to like being able to say like Asmo. And then like the people who know the full name are like, those are the true nerds. <laughs> yeah, so I had that, had some discard outlets. It was a good, sweet little five color synergistic deck. Nice. Yeah, I do not have that. I opened my pool yesterday and uh, it is full of junk rares. And so I tried to salvage whatever I could. Could either build a white red or a white green aggro deck and I landed on a white red. So so I'll be playing tomorrow in the Discord, hashtag sponsored, but uh, but hopefully I can just uh, cheese some people out. There's no hand smoother in best of one paper, which is a bummer. It is a kind of a bummer, yeah. I was thinking about that. All right, so uh, you know, as we're talking about Modern Horizons 2 sealed right now, we're going to be talking about all things Modern Horizons 2 on this episode, and probably for you know at least a couple uh, other episodes to come. I think Strixhaven is sort of played out for us, and uh, Modern Horizons 2 is a new fun puzzle to solve, and I think a lot of people are at least going to be, you know, maybe there's people who are already just grinding a bunch on MTGO, but then there's also going to be people who are going to, you know, do a one-shot, do one draft at their LGS, or, you know, do a, a draft with their friends, and I think as much information as we can give to both of those kinds of people, we're going to try and do over the coming weeks. And today's just going to be as as much of an info dump as we can get out there. Uh, So before we get into all that good stuff, a few housekeeping things to take care of. First things first, Patreon page, baby. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show if they so choose. A lot of really sweet perks over there. Um, One of those perks being the Discord. That's what everybody gets uh, for giving back to the show. The Discord is a great spot for 24-7 limited tech support, as we say each and every week. And of course, we're going to be welcoming our new patrons to the fold as we do each and every week. So this week, we are welcoming Joshua, Jack, John K, John C, Ryan, Garrett, Sean, Andrew, Jason, Brandon, and Keith. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough and just want to confirm again that the Discord is an awesome place if you're trying to learn Modern Horizons too. I've been hanging out in the card evaluation channels, the big picture channels, just trying to get a sense of the format as I was diving in without hardly any prep work. And it's been very, very helpful, especially trophies too. just being able to look at decks, the trophy and see what cards matter. It's awesome. Yeah. Absolutely. Shows also brought to you in part by Channel Fireball, channelfireball.com. Best place to go for anything and everything you need magic related. The big thing is going on this weekend, but it's going to be over by the time you all are listening to this episode. That's the the Wizards Magic Modern Horizons 2 pre-release party that Channel Fireball is hosting in their Discord. And other than that, you know, if you're going to pick up some Modern Horizons 2 product, you know, you can order from CFB. And if you want to leg up in drafts or you want any other sort of strategy information, CFB Pro is a great option. And whenever you're doing anything over there at CFB, we would really appreciate you using code LOL, all caps, when you check out to let Channel Fireball know that we sent you over there. Yeah, we got another announcement here cooking, a sort of, sort of last minute, not last minute, but uh, we, we just sort of finalized details for this one, Ben. What's going on Thursday night? We are going to be crushing Team <laughs> LR in the classic lol versus lr showdown we're gonna we've got the modern horizons 2 edition it's gonna be thursday at 9 p.m eastern time fasten your seatbelts marshall louise and bk and get ready to get crushed 
Yeah, so that'll be super, super fun. Uh, this will be our first foray into doing one of these on uh, Magic Online, and I think it'll be a pretty awesome experience as they always are. So we're really looking forward to that. All right, so let's start with some big picture Modern Horizons 2 stuff. You know, Ben, I you think that I came up with this on, on my own, but I was lurking in your stream when you said this, but I thought it was a really good, succinct way to put the format, and it was what I had been feeling as well. So I'm going to let you take this sort of big thought here, this first bullet point. That's so funny because underneath this, I just typed amen, literally just said this word for word of my stream as my approach to the format. So that's great. Uh, I think this set is all about maximizing micro synergies. So the basic way I've been approaching drafting the format is that there's a handful of cards, maybe like, I don't know, 10, 20, 30 cards that are just, and this is commons and uncommons wise, right? Obviously, there's a lot of good rares and mythics. But, Mm -hmm. you know, commons and uncommons, there's about 20 or 30 cards that are just way better and rawly powerful than all the other cards. And you take those cards early. And then a lot of times those push you down a direction, but sometimes they don't. And then after you take those powerful cards, you're just trying to find a very synergistic shell that best supports your best cards. And when you're drafting, you need to make sure your deck is synergistic. If you just have a deck full of cards, it's not going to go very well for you unless you're the Converge deck, which is like a five-color deck that's very powerful. That's much more of a raw power deck, and it is powerful enough to compete um, with some of the very synergistic decks. But past that, if you're not high synergy, I think you're going to have a bad time in the format. Right, and so when we're talking about macro synergies and micro synergies, what we mean is uh, on a macro synergy level, it's like what the archetype is trying to do. So blue-green, for example, is a tokens deck. Now, there can be different flavors of blue-green, but that's sort of like what it's trying to do. So there are things that make tokens and things that care about you making tokens. And then in that shell, maybe you've got some micro synergies. Maybe you've got just like a little two card combo, a little wombo combo. Maybe you have a little squirrel package. Maybe you've got some sort of affinity package as well. But so you're, you're not only looking for the big picture thing, those macro synergies, but you're also then looking for all those little card to card interactions as well that, that, make your deck greater than the sum of its parts. Right. The commons as a vacuum are not very good. So you really need to make sure that you're trying to have commons that power them power themselves up or power each other up. Correct. Yeah. I think, and I'd be curious to hear your thoughts on this, but it has felt to me like it's much more a set about doing your thing than disrupting your opponent's thing. Like you want to have interaction. Of course, it's limited, but I feel like it's generally just like who does their thing or assembles their Tron quicker, faster, better than the other player. That's the person who's generally going to win the game. Yes, that's been my experience as well. And then there's also games where like I'm assembling Tron and my opponent is just not trying to assemble Tron. (laughs) And then the game just lasts longer until I manage to assemble Tron, right? Like if you're not doing a thing, you're just going to have a rough time. And I do agree that removal is still important, but you want like, you know, two, three, four removal spells. You don't want eight, nine, 10 removal spells because there's some decks that just do not care about you having removal spells. Right, exactly. Like I mean, the tokens deck is sort of one of them or like their affinity decks or like things where you're like, well, I'm going to kill this modular thing, but that's just going to make some other artifact another problem I have to deal with. Yeah, there are decks that are sort of have a lot of like keyword bad cards that don't really care about you killing them. So I think that leads to you wanting to know exactly what each of the 10 color pairs are doing, right? What each of the archetypes are doing and which are maybe more powerful or more viable. And I think they're mostly all pretty good. I have found, you know, much like we talked about with Strixhaven in terms of pivoting or finding the open lane, I found that to be kind of important here as well. Like, you know, pivoting for a a late signpost card and pick six, seven, eight or whatever can yield a really powerful deck. And I think that's generally what you want because by and large, all 10 of these archetypes are strong. Yeah, I think the two that I've been the least impressed with or are the most finicky to come together are blue red and blue black blues commons i think are pretty junky past hard evidence i think that's the best blue common it's single blue for a sorcery um, and you investigate which gives you a clue token that you can sacrifice for two mana to draw a card and you make an o3 crab but past that blues commons are really rough and so you just have to have a lot of things that come together to make a really good blue red or blue black deck yeah so blue red on its face i think is supposed to be a delirium deck maybe but i i'm not even sure i've faced an actual blue red deck and i certainly haven't drafted one myself blue black however i have so the one blue black deck i had was a blue black deck that was basically just a vehicle for three prophetic titans which we'll talk about in just a little bit but that card is one of the best uncommons in the set it's absolutely nuts but i've also faced some good blue black decks that do uh like 
discard madnessy thing and then they're enabling that blue common that's the one in a blue bounce a thing and then draw a card if you've discarded a card this turn um that card i think is quite good in blue black and i've also been milled out by some blue black decks with that enchantment there's a two in a blue uncommon enchantment that's uh lets you scry one each upkeep and then whenever you discard a card you mill two for your opponent um so i've definitely been milled out before i've I've found blue black to be a little more successful than blue red at least from uh, my opponent's perspective yes i agree and i think one of the most important pieces is a rare it's actually master of death it's one blue black for a three one and whenever it's in your graveyard at the beginning of your upkeep you can pay a life to return it to your hand so it just gives you a free discard every turn that card's been very impressive for my opponents yeah, and and ADTBs and surveils too. That's really good. So those two decks, yeah, I think are probably at the bottom of the barrel, or at least like they're they're not really decks that I've had experience with. And it sounds like perhaps you've had experience with yourself. So what have you enjoyed? Let's uh, we can like volley back and forth here and pick some archetypes to talk about. Honestly, most of my drafts have ended up in the Mardu camp. I've played a lot of red black madness aggro. I think that's a super aggressive deck. Um, you really want almost all discard outlets and cards with madness and i think you're just trying to really flood the board with creatures and kill your opponent and same thing for red white i've been playing a lot of red white modular aggro so that has a lot of artifact creatures with the modular ability so they come into play with plus one plus one counters on them equal to the number of modular and then when they die they can move their counters onto a different artifact creature so both of those decks have been very good aggressive decks and also i think have some resiliency to compete into the late game yeah for sure Two of my favorite decks, and I feel like they're more contested now that the format's had some time to breathe, are Blue-White Affinity and Blue-Green Tokens. Um, Blue-White Affinity, the, the the Artifact Dual Lands are a really cool addition to the format. So they don't take a land slot, they are actual commons, um, but they're these dual lands that enter the battlefield tap, they're artifacts, and they're indestructible. And so they count towards your affinity count, so you can, you know, you can power out some affinity top end if you get those Sojourner's Companions, you can get those out pretty cheaply or do some pretty sick double spelling late in the game or not late in the game but you know around turn four or five um so i've liked the blue white affinity deck quite a bit and blue green tokens is just awesome that's more based on uncommons which we'll talk about a little bit later in the episode that's going to be one of the decks we'll highlight specifically um but that's really about you know assembling a bunch of tokens whether they're creature tokens like squirrels or crabs or generally they're they're the three artifact tokens that you can make uh that's food treasure and clues um and so there there's a really there's a lot of synergy going on there and a lot of really cool cards. Two other decks that have really impressed me recently are Red Green. I think this deck is kind of two different things. On its face value, Red Green is Storm. But I also think there's just a stompy version of the deck where you play Goblin and Archimancer, which is a Red Green 2-2, and it makes all your other Red and Green spells cost one less to cast. So you can stack those and make your spells pretty cheap and then ostensibly like Storm off for like, you know, two or three or whatever by having some things come off Suspend is generally the best way to do it. But there's also just a version where you play those Anarchomancers and curve out with monsters and just, you know, stomp your opponent. Um, there's a card called something Crew Shock that's one of the best green commons. It's three and a green for a 4-4 Trample, has a bunch of other abilities. So just curving an Archimancer into that Crew Shock is you know, going to put your opponent on the back foot. I've only faced a good red green deck once, but it really popped off. It had three of the Anarchomancers in play. And then it was like turn six, I think. And they went spell, spell, and then played Galvanic Relay, which is the Tuna Red Sorcery. Exile the top card of your library during your next turn. You may play that card and it has Storm. And so then they just effectively drew three while double spelling. <laughs> it's like this deck just went off. Um, so I've definitely seen the deck do like that storm thing. Yeah, they can do some busted stuff. There's all the decks that can do such busted things. And the other one is uh, the multicolor converge deck. And we alluded to that a little bit. And I don't think we're going to go super in depth on it. But the converge cards are all very high picks, even in two color decks, because you can play those half on color artifact lands to help up your converge count. And a lot of decks want to do that anyway, right? Because of their, you know, the Jeskai wedge is really artifact affinity based. So it's pretty easy to take and splash those cards, but there also is just a true multicolor deck that has a critical mass of those converge cards that is, you know, a converge control deck, I think, generally. Yeah, and I think uh, I'll steal Sam Black's phrase about the Demir deck in Strixhaven. I think converge is kind of a state of mind in uh, Modern Horizons <laughs> 2. And what I mean by that is that, you know, I've definitely just used the artifact lands to enable converged cards. You know, I've done a five-color radiant epicure in a black-white deck just off of a bunch of artifact lands. So you can definitely do that. You can enable converge cards into color decks, but then you can also just do, there's a lot of fixing, the basic land cyclers, the artifact lands. You can do a five-color good stuff pile for sure. 
Yeah, for sure. And then a couple of the other decks that we haven't really talked about yet. Green White is, I think, a very aggressive deck and is trying to do things with plus one, plus one counters. Have you played with her against that much? I have had one good Green White deck and it uh, had two copies of Arcus Acolyte. That's the Green White Uncommon. It's a 2-2 with Reach and Lifelink. And it has Outlast itself. So for a green or white, you can tap it to put a plus one plus one counter on it at sorcery speed. And each other creature you control without a plus one plus one counter on it has Outlast as well for a, a green white hybrid. Um, and so it sort of feels like it's pulling from some other stuff. Like maybe it's a little bit of white modular aggro. And so you're doing the things you'd normally be doing in red white, but in green white, um, you've got counter synergies. There's a lot of like, there's some proliferate stuff. So I, I have had success with green white. I've liked it uh, quite a bit, at least that one deck. And then the other one is black green squirrels, ostensibly, but I found it to be more of a token sacrifice deck. You know, there are some squirrel cards that are important in that token sacrifice, but generally you're trying to churn out some tokens. Glimmer Baron has been really impressive in green black as well as green blue. That's the single green uh, one, two, I think it is. And you can sacrifice an artifact to give it plus two, plus two. Yeah, I think much like Witherbloom in Strixhaven, green black in this format wants to be aggro. I don't think it's about like going wide and getting a bunch of squirrels because then I just don't know what you're like. How are, what are you going to do now with a bunch of squirrels? I think you want to be pressuring your opponent. I'm going to jump ahead in the show notes a little bit because I think the one key card for the deck is Ravenous Squirrel. This is a black green hybrid for a one, one. Whenever you sacrifice an artifact or creature, put a plus and plus one counter on Ravenous Squirrel and then you can pay one black green sack an artifact or creature to gain a life and draw a card and i think on its face this looks like a grindy you know mid-rangey value card but honestly with the there's a lot of stuff that enables the first piece of text here you know if you evoke a creature that's sacrificing it right so you cast the creature and then you sacrifice it boom you trigger this if you have a treasure token a clue token or a food token in play well sacrificing that is going to trigger this as well so it's really not hard for this little one mana one one to get out of control oh yeah i completely agree that card's super aggressive but yeah i've I've definitely built the other version and been like i don't i don't know what i'm doing like i feel like i'm doing the tron thing for black green but then what what is it what's the end game and i don't feel like you get there Right. And I think the last deck that we're going to go over in a little bit more depth later in the episode is Black White Reanimator. That's kind of the big overview for that. Yeah, for sure. All right. Uh, you got a nice little list here of top 10 uncommons in the set. You know, we alluded to taking strong cards and maximizing them as best we can. And I think these are, you know, 10 of the cards to look out for. Yeah, in no particular order here. Uh, first up, we've got Fey Offering, two and a green for an enchantment. At the beginning of each end step, if you cast both a creature spell and a non-creature spell this turn, create a clue token, a food token, and a treasure token. This card is bonkers, and you mm-hmm. should not hardly ever pass it. And it looks like, oh, this is a green-blue gold card. No, it's just good in every green deck, I think. Maybe not green-white. But it's so, so, so powerful. Yeah, you said in no particular order, but I do think, I don't know if this is the best uncommon in the set, but it is my favorite card in the set. So <laughs> I will be, I take it very, very highly. Uh, the, the real wombo combo with this card is a common Rift Sower. This is two and a green for a one, three tap to add one mana of any color, but it has suspend two for a single green. So if both of these are in your opener, you can suspend Rift Sower on turn one. And then on turn three, you're casting Rift Sower for free off of suspend. Then you cast Fae offering, boom, three tokens right away. And it looks like this might be kind of hard to trigger. It's really trivial, I think, to trigger if you build your deck right. One of the best cards with it is Abundant Harvest. It's a single green for a sorcery that lets you choose land or non-land, and then you reveal cards from the top of your library until you hit. And so not only does it smooth your draws out, but it also is a single mana non-creature spell that makes it much easier to trigger your thing off of creatures, right? So the trick is having cheap creatures and or cheap non-creatures so that you can double spell during your turns. Right, yeah. Hard evidence is great for that. Um, I'm forgetting the name, but it's the single green one, two. You can sack a token to give it plus two, plus two until end of turn. That's another wombo with Fey Offering, like being able to you know, make a bunch of tokens. Well, what are you doing with them? Well, you can just sacrifice them and get value and life and cards or whatever. But also then you just have this huge threat of activation from your one drop. Yeah, Glimmer Baron is the name of that one. Yes, thank you. Next up on this list is Sweep the Skies. This is X blue blue for a sorcery with Converge. Create a 1-1 colorless Thopter artifact creature token with flying for each color of mana spent to cast this spell. Now, on its face, this is three mana for two 1-1 flyers in like a two-color deck, right? Blue, blue, and whatever. 
but this scales pretty well. This is not only like great in the five color converge deck, but also if you just have, you know, some off color artifact lands that like, you know, touch one of your main colors, but then are just free for these converge spells. This can be you know, four mana for three one one flyers is a lot. It just keeps scaling up and up. And like I've seen this cast for five one ones pretty easily. Yeah, card is absurd. And I think it's maximized in those artifact shells and the Jeskai colors. But I think even just in a deck that doesn't necessarily care about the tokens being artifacts, 5-1-1 flyers is big game. Yep. Well, maybe not so much big game for this next card. Yeah, next up we've got Archfiend of Sorrows. This is five black black for a four five flying demon. When it enters the battlefield, creatures your opponent's control get minus two minus two until end of turn. And you can unearth it for three black black. I found this card to be an absolute house, and it just is really good against a lot of the aggressive strategies in the format. Sometimes green-white can go past this, but a lot of times if you can avoid trading off with a modular stuff, you know, this is going to nab two, three, four creatures from your aggressive opponents. And I think one of the sweet things that you can do is discard it to unearth it, you know, once you hit five mana when you need that sort of sweeping wrath effect. So it sort of doubles as a finisher. And just also the turn that you cast it or unearth it, it's very similar to an overrun type effect as well, because it makes your opponent's creatures smaller. So it's so much harder for them to block, even if you're not necessarily, you know, killing a boatload of creatures. There's also this effect that it has once it's, you know, in the graveyard, whether from discarding or there's a couple cards that let you tutor up a cart from your library, put it into your graveyard. And then it's just sort of there. And it has this threat of, do you want to commit more X2s to the board? And then I can just sweep them away. Or if you don't commit more X2s to the board, then I don't have to cast this and I can, or I don't have to unearth this and I can do other stuff from my hand. So it has an, another like sort of layer on the game as well. Right. Been most impressed with that in black, white and black, red. Mm-hmm. Next up is uh, one of our Lords Limited official preview cards, Radiant Epicure, four and a black, five, five, converge to drain, right? Each opponent loses X life and you gain X life where X is the number of colors of mana spent to cast this spell. I mean, any, anywhere from this just coming in as a, a five mana five five period, much, you know, shout out to Witherbloom Pledge Mage, a five mana <laughs> five five is just good. It's very large in this format. But then also, so what? So it comes in on a two color deck and you're draining for two. That's not nothing. But when you drain for three, four, five, that's a huge impact. This can just finish games on its own. Yeah, I was not particularly impressed with this when we got it as a preview card. And then the first time it was cast against me, I was like, oh, my God, that card's <laughs> incredible. It's like Siege Rhino-esque for sure. Yes. Next up, we've got Flame Tongue Yearling. Oof. This might be the best uncommon in the set. It's so efficient. It's red, red for a 2-1 with multi-kicker 2 and an ETBs with a plus one, plus one counter on it for each time it was kicked. And then it deals damage equal to its power to target creature. So two mana, 2-1, two, deal 2. 4 mana, 3, 2, deal 3, 6 mana, 4, 3, deal 4. Like, it's very modal, and it's so powerful. Yeah, I think this is the biggest grown test for me. It just, like, comes into play, and it's just, like, always a straight-up 2 for 1, and it feels bad. And you can tell that I have faced it more than I have cast it. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, actually, this next one I think might be the best one. (laughs) This is your favorite for sure. You gush about this card a lot. This is Kaleidoscorch, one and a red for a sorcery. And as Converge, deals X damage to any target where X is the number of colors of mana spent to cast it. And as Flashback for four and a red. So, you know, straight up two mana deal two on the front face and then potential to deal five on the back. Yeah, except if you're a dingbat and you use colorless mana to cast it on the front side, then it only does one damage. I punted pretty hard with a colorless land. Colorless is not a color for sure. You heard it here first, folks. <laughs> Next up, we've got Timeless Witness. This is 2GG for a 2-1. When it enters the battlefield, return target card from your graveyard to your hand and then has Eternalize for 5GG. Yeah, that card is just busted. <laughs> well, and you'll notice like most of these busted uncommons are callbacks to busted cards right call back to flame tongue kavu call back to eternal witness you know yeah it's not shocking necessarily that they're busted but they are really powerful and oftentimes i think just better than the original versions for limited at least exactly yeah that's what i was going to say like tireless witness is definitely better than eternal witness and limited yeah uh th- we keep saying it for each card like well maybe this is the best <laughs> uncommon i think maybe actually prophetic titan is the best uncommon in the set this is four blue red for a four four giant wizard has delirium so that's uh when it etbs uh you choose one of these two options but if there are four or more card types this is the delirium part if there are four or more card types among cards in your graveyard you choose both instead so this is a callback to prophetic bolt so uh you either have it deal four damage to any target when it etbs or you look at the top four cards of your library put one of them into your hand and the rest on the bottom of your library in a random order. 
Yes. And the really awkward thing about this card is like, theoretically, this should be the payoff for being blue red. But every deck can cast this card. Like you exactly. just you just take it and you put it in your deck. <laughs> and just trust. Just trust that mana. Next up, we've got Tireless Provisioner. This is Toon G for a 3-2 with landfall. Whenever a land enters the battlefield under your control, you choose whether you make a food token or a treasure token. So folks who ever watch me Vintage Cube know I am obsessed with Tireless Tracker, which is the like sort of other version of this. It's a 3-mana three 3-2. Three, with landfall, you make a clue token. And so this makes the other two kinds of tokens. So I saw this and I was like, oh, this is cute. This is like kind of good. And then I played with it and I was like, oh, this is Lotus Cobra, but better. Because all of your lands, you don't have to use that bump of mana immediately. You just make a treasure token, and then it just sticks around for whenever you need to ramp with it. This card, I think, is busted. And it's also awesome against aggro decks, right? Yes. Like if you don't need the mana, you just make food tokens, and then all of a sudden you're starting from 32 life instead of 20. Yeah. Yeah, I love that card. Uh, last up here, I think, is going to be a bit of an upset. I think this is a pretty underrated card right now, and this is Extruder. Four mana for an artifact. It's a 4-3. It has Echo 4, so that means on the following upkeep, like the turn after you cast it, uh, you have to pay the Echo cost or sacrifice it. But it also has this insane ability, sacrifice an artifact, put a plus and plus one counter on target creature. Yeah, this card looks terrible, right? Yes. It looks so clunky. And that was my first impression of it. I picked it and I put it in a deck where I didn't really max maximize it and i was like eh this card's fine and i just don't pass it anymore because there's so many sweet wombo combos that you can do with it in the format and that's what the format's all about and this is just goes in so many decks because it's colorless right and the fact that there are a bunch of lands you can play that you can sacrifice to this i think is really what pushes it over the top i mean obviously and we're talking about tokens floating around right clues treasures and food are abundant in this format so those are other things you can sacrifice to this and you know if this just sticks around it makes combat a nightmare for your opponent because you can just do anything at instant speed there's no cost to doing this right so you can just like move counters around god forbid you have modular stuff and so then not only you're getting the bonus from sack the thing put a counter somewhere but then you're getting those modular counters either on extruder itself or on another artifact creature i just trust us we know this card looks clunky but it is very powerful yep don't pass it all right some some honorable mention over performers at uncommon first up is a card that is near and dear to my heart this is abiding grace two and a white for an enchantment at the beginning of your end step choose one you gain a life eh but the other option is return target creature card with mana value one from your graveyard to the battlefield and there are a handful of commons that go really well with this i'm specifically thinking of arcbound mouser which is a one mana one one lifelink with modular one Mere Scrapling, which is a one mana one one that you can sacrifice to put a plus and plus one counter on a creature. And also one that I've comboed off with recently is Nested Shambler, single black one one. When it dies, you create X tapped one one green squirrel creature tokens where X is Nested Shambler's power. All three of those are pretty good if you can get like a little sacrifice engine. Obviously, Mere Scrapling just does it itself. And then when you're recurring those each and every turn, that is a pretty sick engine. Yeah, seems good. Next up is Junkwinder. This is five blue blue for a five six with affinity for tokens. So it costs one less to cast for each token you control. Whenever a token enters the battlefield under your control, tap target non-land permanent and opponent controls. It doesn't untap during its controller's next untap step. So just picture that you've played <laughs> a Fey offering and made one of each token. So you've got three tokens. So all of a sudden this costs four. You maybe play this, play another non-creature spell and make three more tokens, tap down three things the opponent controls that they don't untap. Like this card is such a house in the right shell. I just cry every time I see it. I have not gotten to play it yet, but it's so busted. It's a really, really good card. Uh, next up is another, I think, uh, looks clunky but isn't card. This is Steel Dromedary, three mana for a 2-2. Two -two. It enters the battlefield tapped with two plus and plus one counters on it. It doesn't untap during your untap step if it has a plus and plus one counter on it. And then at the beginning of combat on your turn, you may move a plus one plus one counter from Steel Dromedary onto target creature. This is really good in aggressive shells, especially in red, white, modular specifically, like a dream curve of play Arcbound Prototype, the two mana, two, two, and white with modular two, play that on two, drop the dromedary, dump a counter onto the prototype. Now it's attacking for three. You know, you're dumping another counter. When a modular thing dies, you can move, choose to move the counters back to the dromedary to start refueling other creatures. And then when it has no counters on it, boom, you get now you have a two, two, and that's good too. It's a very good card. Right. And there's also just a lot of creatures in the format that care about plus one plus one counters getting placed on them that it triggers for free. Next up, this is a favorite of yours. Vectus Gloves is up next. This is two mana for an equipment. 
equip two, equipped creature gets plus two plus O and has artifact land walk. I mean, this is just very often equipped creature has plus two plus O and unblockable. Like if people are taking artifact lands as they should, you know, either for affinity or for enabling converge or just for fixing their own mana, you know, you assume people are going to have, I don't know, uh, three ish artifact lands in their deck, maybe if they're, if they're taking them appropriately. I actually don't know what the like, how many get opened at a table. Um, but then also sometimes you're just playing against an affinity deck that has like nine of them. And this is just pretty cheap. Equip two to give that effect. This is just very quick clock and really hard to deal with. Yeah. Next up is Clattering Augur. This is one in a black for a 1 1. Can't block. When it enters the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose a life. And you can pay two black, black to return it from your graveyard to your hand. This card just does a lot of small things in the format really well, I think. It's not a crazy high pick or anything, but in the Black Red Madness decks, you know, you can pitch it and rebuy it, you know, as something to discard to trigger your effects. You can play it, sacrifice it to something like Bone Charge, which is single black sorcery, either discard a card or sack a creature to pay the cost to destroy target creature. In blue-black, again, you can pay that four mana just continually to have a card to discard. It's just a kind of engine piece that works well at the intersection of a lot of what the black decks are trying to do. And it's kind of a low cost, right? Like, so at the base, the floor of two mana, draw a card, lose a life, and then the rest of it is just gravy in terms of the small interactions that it can have in your deck. Yep. Next up is Scurry Oak, two and a green for a one, two with Evolve. And so that's whenever a creature enters the battlefield under your control, if it has greater power or toughness than this creature, you put a plus and plus one counter on it. And then whenever one or more plus and plus one counters are put on Scurry Oak, you may create a one, one green squirrel creature token. Now, the thing about this card is like, you know, it looks looks how it's going to play out for the most part, like three mana, one to evolve. If you played with evolve back in gate crash, you know that that's, you know, a one, two is a nice body for that. It's going to be easy to grow. You're going to get some one ones, but then you throw in the text of when it's just whenever a plus one plus one counter is put on it. So not whenever it evolves. And so when you take into account all the other ways there are to put plus one plus one counters on this, aside from it evolving, it's very easy to get a squirrel out of this, like every turn. Yeah, card does some serious work. Last on the list is Aethersworn Sphinx. This is seven white blue for a 4-4 affinity for artifacts flying, which looks like that would be the card. But wait, yes. there's more. It also has Cascade. And as a nine mana card with Cascade. So Cascade means like, you know, you cast it and then you get to like look at cards from the top of your library until you find something with lesser mana cost than this, which is not going to be hard because it costs nine. And then you just get to cast that thing for free. Yeah, and it's not uncommon to cast this for three, four, five mana in a dedicated, you know, blue-white artifacts deck. Well, and the other thing about this is in a dedicated artifacts deck, you can do it. But also if you're in, you know, I've definitely played this, splashed this in blue-green. Or, you know, sometimes if I'm in a more controlling version of white-red, like it's not hard to splash this and it's definitely worth doing so. Yes, 100%. All right, more rankings coming up here, Ben. We're going to look at the top three commons <laughs> from each color, okay? Yeah, I am into it. So kicking things off in white... The first common, number one common, is Arcbound Prototype. This is one and a white for the 2-2 modular. A little bit of a hot take here in the number two slot is Arcbound Mouser. Single white for an artifact creature with lifelink and modular one. So it comes in as a 1-1. One, one. Yeah, and just want to preface, this is my list, not Ethan's. So if you disagree with it, you should you should tweet at me or yell at me in the Discord. And I'm I'm very confident about the number one card in each color, but I'm less confident about cards two through three slash it's very archetype dependent and doesn't really matter as much. But I do think it's important to know which commons matter. And these are some cards that really matter. And I think Arcbound Mouser is very important to the white aggressive decks. Yeah, I'll take I'll, I'll take this second to just like give my little spiel about this. I feel like I'm trying to remember when the last time we did this and maybe it was for double masters when we were like arguing about ranking cards for a master set. And, you know, for my money, I know that this is content that, that people want. And I think it's important for us to put out there, but I also find in these very high synergy sets that ranking commons, especially ranking commons, like I'm fine to talk about the powerful uncommons, but ranking commons feels, as you said, they're all archetype dependent. And so I think it's much more about knowing where they're best maximized rather than like what the pick order for them is. Right. And we'll try to talk about that as we go through the list. So both number one and number two in white go in white aggressive decks that want artifacts right and that and that's white red white blue and white green because white green cares about counters yep for sure and then next up on the list is lens flare this is four and a white for an instant with affinity for artifacts and it deals five damage to target attacking or blocking creature and what this does is you should get this late right if you're in the right seat and then it's a premium removal spell in the sense that normally you want your removal spells 
to you know, clear the way for your attackers, but you don't necessarily care about that quite as much. But the fact that this is one mana and instant speed is going to enable double spelling later in the game, which is really, really important. And I think just being able to spend picks on the good aggressive threats and then knowing you're going to get lens flares late as your removal is pretty key. Moving on to blue in the number one slot, we've got hard evidence that's blue for a sorcery, create an O3 crab token, and then investigate. This does a lot of things, and we talked about a lot of them already, but it's great in the tokens deck. It's really good in blue red just to buy you some time, and it puts a sorcery in the graveyard for delirium. It's really good in blue black, again, just to buy you time. Blue white, you care about the clue token as an artifact, you know, make your things with affinity cheaper. It's just does a lot of small things really well and most importantly i think is awesome with fate offering <laughs> yep uh hard to find what the two and three are but we, we attempted here number two i've got ethereum spinner two in a blue for a two one artifact creature human wizard whenever you cast a spell with mana value four or greater you make a one one colorless thopter artifact creature token with flying i think this fits in a lot of shells you know blue green cares about the, the tokens being made a lot of stuff with affinity is nice here because you can cast expensive spells for cheap so it's easy to trigger this um, i found this to be a card that feels like eventually i'm gonna have to deal with it or it's gonna take over the game and in the number three slot we've got mental journey this is four blue blue for an instant draw three cards with basic land cycling for one and a blue but again like not super worried about it past hard evidence in blue but if you're seeing hard evidences you know pick seven pick eight on the wheel that is, should be, if people in your pod know what they're doing, a sign that blue is open. Moving on to black in the number one slot, we've got Hellmongrel, perhaps a bit of an upset here. Uh, this is three and a black for a four, three. Discard a card, Hellmongrel gets plus one, plus one until end of turn, but it also has a madness cost for two and a black. We haven't talked about madness yet. That's uh, if you discard this card, you can then discard it into exile. When you do, you can cast it for its madness cost, or you can put it into your graveyard. But the, the sweet thing here with madness is then you can cast stuff at instant speed, right? Dis your opponent goes to attack, then you discard Hellmongrel, pay its madness cost, boom, it's in, in play. And what Hellmongrel does really, really well, which I don't think there's any other card at common, is not only is it a discard outlet for madness, but it itself is madness. So it's both a payoff and an enabler, and that's really strong. Yeah, I think this card is everything that black decks want to do, with the exception of black-green probably, but in black-white, you know, it's a discard outlet for your reanimating stuff, as well as just being a rock-solid card. It's nuts in black red in the madness deck is the best card for that deck at common, I think. And then in blue black, it also blue black also cares about discarding cards. And then it has madness, you know, for it to be something you want to discard. It's a discard outlet for your other cards. It just is very synergistic and ties a lot of the room together between a lot of archetypes. And that's very valuable for a single colored common. Right. Not only is it giving like inherent synergy within the color, but then also has all these like, okay, and then here's the application with this color and with this other color. It's really good. Next up is a premium removal spell, Tragic Fall, one in a black for an instant turret creature gets minus three, minus three until end of turn. And then if you're hellbent, which means having no cards in hand, that creature gets minus 13, minus 13 instead. Yep. Just hyper efficient removal. And then last uh, number three is Bone Shards, single black for a sorcery. As an additional cost to cast this spell, sack a creature or discard a card. I always... I often forget about that part, portion of the card and then you just straight up destroy target creature or planeswalker so not only is this a discard outlet for all the, the aforementioned things that we want to right it triggers madness blah 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 but also you know if you you can pair it in there's not really like a steel and sack deck but there's a lot of creature tokens floating around that you can sacrifice uh bone shards is hyper efficient Right. And in the right deck, I think Bone Shards is better than Tragic Fall. But just before you know what you're doing, I think you're supposed to pick Tragic Fall. Agreed. Moving on to red, in the number one slot, we've got Mine Collapse. This card is absurd. It's three and a red for an instant. It deals five damage to target creature or planeswalker. If it's your turn, you can sacrifice a mountain rather than pay its mana cost. So this is awesome in red-green because it gives you free storm count. But then just it's a high powered format, right? So the fact that on four mana, you can play a four drop or something or tap out and then still leverage this at instant speed in combat. You know, if you're attacking to blow your opponent out, it just is really, really, really powerful. A little bit of diminishing returns because you can only sacrifice so many mountains. But I think the first two copies of Mind Collapse are gold. Yeah. All right. Number two, we've got Unholy Heat. Single red for an instant. Deal two damage to target creature or planeswalker. But if you have Delirium, it deals six instead. And I, I think, you know, first of all, single red deal two is is actually pretty hyper efficient. There's not a lot of large creatures around. You know, you're, you, you can kill a lot of important stuff with the front side of this. But then also, I think 
Red is able to enable Delirium, especially if you, you know, find a way to loot away or discard an artifact land. That's really going to like shore up two slots there, right? That gets you a land in the yard, which is often the hardest, gets you an artifact. And then all you need is a creature and an instant or sorcery and you're off to the races. And this is just insane. It's like, you know, swords to plowshares or whatever. And last, we've got Arcbound Tracker. This is two in a red for the Menace 2-2 modular. And whenever you cast a spell other than your first each turn, you put a plus one, plus one counter on it. Nice. Yep, just a good little artifact threat there. Up next in green, the number one slot. This card has too much text. Way too much text, Ben. Banner Hide, Crewshock. Three and a green for a 4-4 with Trample, which is just good. Like we said, there's not like keyword big is good here. I've definitely felt like a four mana 4-4 is good. But not only that, it has reinforced two. So you can pay one and a green to discard it to drop two plus and plus one counters on target creature. So it's a split creature or combat trick. And then it also has scavenge five green green, meaning you can exile it from your graveyard for that cost to put four plus and plus one counters on a creature at sorcery speed. So it's just insane at every step of the way. It's questing beast at common. <laughs> yeah, Banner Eyed Crushock is questing beast. Next up, we've got Rift Sower. This is two and a G for a one three taps to add one mana of any color to your mana pool and has green suspend two. Yeah, that card I think is really, really good. And then in the number three slot, we've got Orchard Strider for GG for a six four when it ETBs create two food tokens and it also has basic land cycling for one and a green. And I think, you know, Rift Sower and Orchard Strider enabling a multicolor green deck, I do think that's where the base of a, a converged deck exists at, at, at its best. Um, but also just like, you know, it also works well with the token stuff, creating two food, blah, blah, blah. It's a good card. One of the other things that's sweet about this format is there's a cycle of multicolored cards at common as well as uncommon, which is mm-hmm. unusual, I think, for limited. And so I just wanted to highlight some of the ones that are cream of the crop here. So in again, in no particular order, um, we've got Terminal Agony. This is two black red sorcery, destroy target creature, and then has madness black red. Um, and as you can imagine, it's very, very good in Black Red Madness. And next up is Muldrifter, aka Wave Sifter, three green blue for a three-two flyer. When it enters the battlefield, investigate twice. And it also has an evoke cost for green blue. And you can evoke it because sometimes those tokens do so much. Yeah. Like sometimes that's just awesome as well. Goblin and Archimancer is next. This is red green for the two-two. Each spell you cast that's red or green costs one less to cast. This card should not be wheeling, and if it is, I think it's a signal to move into red green stompy or red green storm. I would say similarly for our next card, this is a card dear and dear to my heart. Breathless Knight, one white black for a two-two. Spirit Knight with flying and lifelink. Straight up just three mana two-two flying lifelink is good. But then it has whenever it or another creature enters the battlefield under your control, if it entered from a graveyard or you cast it from a graveyard, you put a plus one plus one counter on Breathless Knight. Yeah, card does serious work as soon as it gets a plus one plus one counter on it. It is scary. Yeah. The last one is Captured by Lagax. This is one green-white for a pacifism effect that also comes along with support two. Yeah, that card is wildly good. Like, talk about, I don't know, you know, when we talked about aggressive decks in M21, the things that, like, you know, come into play, they push damage, Basri's Acolyte, whatever. This card is insane. It removes a thing and then it potentially enables attacks for two other creatures. Right. So support two, if we if you don't know what that is, is put a plus one plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. Yeah. So capture by the Legax is great. I think it's a real key piece to that green white deck. Yep. And there's also great colorless cards. Top of the heap here, we've got the artifact lands. We've sung their praises. They're ETB tapped artifact lands that are indestructible um, that tap for one of two colors. Yeah, and they definitely have been getting snapped up a lot higher, I, I think. I think people are, are on to how important these are not only for like affinity strategies, but also just for enabling random converge. They're good cards to hedge on early, etc. Yeah, I don't think they're really supposed to be wheeling that often. And if you get them on the wheel, you should be snapping them up, even if you don't know what you're going to use them for yet. Yep. Sojourner's Companion is next. It's seven mana for the 4-4 with affinity for artifacts, and then also has artifact land cycling two, so you can discard it and then search up an artifact land. And one of the things that's sweet about that is, you know, first of all, it's going to trigger cards that care about you discarding, which is something that hadn't quite occurred to me until I did it and got one of those triggers. And also, if you care about getting Delirium, 
you know, puts an artifact and a creature into your graveyard. The other thing that this does specifically is, you know, sometimes when you're splashing, you have to run a basic in your deck, right? So if you've got the the basic land cyclers, you know, you've got two of those and you have to put a mountain in your deck to splash your prophetic titan. Well, you could just play like three, you know, artifact lands that touch, you know, your color and your splash color and or two even. And now Sojourner's Companion cycles for that. And you don't even have to run a basic. Like it makes splashing so easy in this format. Last on the list is Mere Scrappling. This is one mana for a 1-1. Sacrifice it, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature. This is just very good in any deck that cares about artifacts, I think. If you've got modular, you want to be aggressive. Mere Scrappling makes combat a nightmare. And then I think one of the cards that maybe is missing from this list is the Ornithopter of Paradise, but I've been a little underwhelmed by that. It's two mana for an O2 flyer, and you can tap to add one mana of any color to your mana pool. I've just found that it's broadly powerful and not very synergistic, and it, but it's not powerful enough to make up for the fact that it's not super synergistic in the format. Well, as I just talked about, the abundance of fixing that exists that doesn't require you to play a two-mana O2, like, yeah, this can ramp you, and so maybe you're getting a little bit of a bump for a couple turns, but then you're just looking at this card that is not that exciting. I'd say another bump for it is that it's an artifact creature for Delirium because it's going to die probably eventually. But like, I, yeah, I, I agree. I don't think it's that necessary in the format. All right, sweet. So let's do a little bit of a deep dive on some of the archetypes here. First up, we've got Black White Reanimator. What's going on there? So I, I just sort of have like little, a couple buckets here of ways to reanimate and then payoffs for reanimate. So at common, we've got Late to Dinner, which is three and a white for a sorcery return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield create a food token so that's sweet to have it common and then we've got a couple at uncommon here so first up is young necromancer which is four and a black for a two three when it enters the battlefield you may exile two cards from your graveyard when you do return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield and this is not that hard to enable and when you do it's quite powerful especially if you're you know even if you've just like you know, done the basic land cycling. I'll jump ahead to landscaper Colos. So let's say you've, you know, basic land cycled with that. So that's the uh, six mana, four, six with land cycling. So you discard that into your bin, you go get a land, you're, you're doing your curve stuff. Maybe you've dumped a removable spell or whatever creatures died. And then you drop young necromancer on five or six, and then you get back this four, six. And that is not a hard scenario to enable. Um, another scenario I'd like to talk to you about is uh, based off this card, Graceful Restoration. It says three white black for a sorcery. Choose one. You can either return target creature card from your graveyard to the battlefield with an additional plus one plus one counter on it, or you can return up to two target creature cards with power two or less from your graveyard to the battlefield. Now, what's a great card to return from my graveyard with power two, Ben? Oh my lord, that's disgusting. I hadn't seen that combo with Young Necromancer. Oh, so Young Necromancer is great for that, for sure. But I'm talking about our common there, Breathless Knight, which is the the one white black 2-2 flying lifelink. If you have two Breathless Knights in your graveyard and you return them with Graceful Restoration, they come in as 4-4 flying lifelinkers. Wow, that's absurd. So I have only played Black White Reanimator Reanimator once or twice, and I've been trying to reanimate like big bad things. Have you found that it's more of a value reanimate deck? Yeah, I've found that it's more value oriented. I think Breathless Knight is really the key. Like that when I see Breathless Knight is one of those cards that I'm like, this is probably going way too late most of the time. I think this is just a generally under drafted underrated archetype in the format and it's really powerful and i think it's because breathless knight is so good just as a three mana two two flying lifelink and then all these little synergies like we haven't talked about breathless knight triggering if you get the abiding grace package right so abiding grace is that three mana enchantment that returns a one mana value creature on your end step so if you're doing the little you know mirror scrappling abiding grace thing with a breathless knight in play and that's now not only you're getting the value from that little combo but every time the one drop comes back into play you're triggering breathless knight and it's getting bigger so it's very easy at common i think to make these little i mean obviously you need some uncommons for you know these really good synergies but it's it's not that hard to maximize them with commons Ooh, that is really spicy. So I think I was going about black white kind of wrong, which was why I was kind of down on it. But this is making a boatload of sense to me, and I'm kind of hyped to go draft black white right now. <laughs> this is it. your excitement is making me very excited right now. Um, and the last card we haven't talked about is another uncommon. This is Vile and Tumor. It's two black black for uh, two two with Death Touch, and when it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for uh, a card and put it into your graveyard. And so that's really good if you get some. Uh, you know, we talked about that big four five with unearth um so there are some synergies there as well but even if you just want to go bin a fatty and then 
go reanimate it with your late to dinner or your young necromancer or whatever, you can do that. But I think the deck is really that the key to the deck is Breathless Knight and then just trying to figure out how to maximize that. Yeah, that makes a ton of sense to me. All right, moving on to Red Black Madness. Um, this deck is super sweet and I think it's very good at just common and uncommon, which I think is true for most of the decks, but not all. But this one I think is especially powerful. Like you do not need rares to make Red Black Madness work. And I think you're supposed to be almost entirely either discard outlets or cards with madness, maybe sprinkling in some of the just generally powerful red black cards like a flame tongue yearling or a mind collapse or whatever. Um, and I think one thing you have to be careful of when you're drafting red black is there's just removal spells left and right and left and right and everywhere you turn your head. So if you're not careful, it's very possible to end up with too many removal spells for your deck to actually function. So I think you know, you want three to four pieces of removal, obviously as many terminal agonies as you can get, because that's the the removal spell with madness. But past that, you really have to be careful about how many removal spells you end up with. Yeah, it's easy to get like, you know, three unholy heats and two tragic falls. And you're like, oh, no, like my deck is 13 creatures and nine removal spells. Right. And that's just a terrible place to be in the format. So key cards for the deck, Hellmongrel, we've already talked about it. It does the discard outlet plus card with madness, which is awesome sauce. There's Rakdos Headliner as the, the gold uncommon. This is black red for a 3-3 with haste. Echo, you discard a card, which looks like it should be downside. But if you built your deck right, it should be pure upside. So ideally, you're curving Rakdos Headliner on turn two into a Hellmongrel. Or there's just a ton of other creatures that are great threats that you can play with Madness. So I make sure that you've got those cards before you cast Rakdos Headliner. And I think if you're the opponent, you should kill your opponent's Rakdos Headliner if you have the ability to, right? Don't think, oh, well, I'll make them discard on their upkeep or whatever and punish them for playing Rakdos Headliner because it should be a benefit if their deck is built correctly. Yeah. And then lastly, Terminal Agony. We've talked about it, the removal spell with Madness. So... um, payoffs that you get you know cards with madness uh kitchen imps a premium one this is three and a black for a two two flying haste with madness for a black you look like when you build this deck your four drop slot looks terrible right because it's got kitchen imps it's got hell mongrels it's got terminal agonies but the good versions of the deck should have like 12 or 13 cards in the four drop slot right because the madness costs are all at different places along the curve and so really when you're doing the deck you should be sorting according to your madness costs because if you don't have a discard outlet like what are you doing with your life anyway if you're playing with black red right Mm -hmm. so other good cards blazing root wall this is single red for a one one you can pay red to give it plus two plus oh until end of turn and it has madness zero which is pretty sweet revolutionist is a really good one that lets the deck grind a little bit into the late game five and a red for three three when etbs you can return an instant or a sorcery from your graveyard to your hand so hopefully rebuying terminal agonies um it has a madness cost of three and a red that card has kind of been a groan tester for me in the format yeah for sure that card is really good and then oftentimes it can like you know depending on how you're discarding it it can have haste too like it's it's really really strong and I don't even think that card's necessarily limited to black red, but it does function well there. And then mm-hmm. Scophos Reaver is the last one. This is just bread and butter card for the deck, along with the 2-2 the Flying Haste Imp. This is two and a red for a 2-3. When it's your turn, it gets plus two plus O oh, and has madness for a one and a red. And there's a bunch of different ways to you know get discard outlets for your madness cards. Bone Shards we've talked about. Um, Necromancer's Familiar is a great one at Uncommon. It's three and a black for a three one flyer. Hellbent um, has lifelink as long as you have no cards in hand. You can pay black discard a card to give it indestructible until end of turn. That one's really good. It's a little less good as a discard outlet because you have to pay black. Generally, you want the free ones. One that's recently risen up in my pick order a little bit is Mount Velus Manticore. Two red mm-hmm. red for a three four. At the beginning of combat on your turn, you can discard a card. When you do, it deals X damage to any target where X is the number of card types the discarded card has. This one is just a really solid body, I think. And then another one that I think is pretty underrated is Fodder Tosser. And I didn't really have this on my radar. Yeah, I thought it was like a tier two, tier three because it was so expensive, but it just clocks your opponent so hard. So it's three mana for an artifact. You can tap, discard a card and have it deal two damage to target player or planeswalker. So the Rakdos deck is pretty aggressive, right? So ideally you're getting in damage early and then your opponent's staring at Fodder Tosser thinking, I'm dead in three turns and I have to be able to interact with this card. And a lot of times you're getting benefits while you're discarding the cards and dealing two damage. It it turns all your madness cards into play this thing, get the effect and deal two damage to the opponent, which is just really strong. I think the best red black decks want, you know, one to two fodder tossers. Oh, wow. One to two. Okay. 
That's interesting. So I have not played Red Black myself. I have faced it and been impressed by it. And then the last two days I had a coaching session and I we drafted Red Black in both of those because it was you know the open thing to do. Um, and so I've played like around with those, but I haven't gotten to like really get my hands on the deck. So I agree with you about the idea of it's basically it feels like an Akoria deck in terms of like column A, column B, right? You yes. Want discard outlets and you want cards with madness. And basically that's it. Do you have an idea or a sense of the ratio there? Is it like one to one? Do you want slightly more discard outlets? Do you want slightly more madness cards? You want Hellmongrels and Rakdos headliners, as many as you can get. The best payoffs, I think, are Kitchen Imp at Common. That's the the 2-2 Flying Haste. And then Bone Shards is a really premium enabler. And one we haven't talked about yet, Bayashino Lash Claw is really good as well. One in red for a 2-2 discard a card. Creatures you control gain haste until end of turn. Curving that into, you know, either the Scophos Reaver that's going to attack as a 4-3 or the Hellmongrel that's going to attack as a 4-3, those are really good starts. But I think you almost just want 50-50. Yeah, that's I, I found it to be, I think, about a one-to-one ratio. At least that that was what felt good. Because the, the things that are awkward are when your opening hand is all madness creatures, no discard outlets, or all discard outlets and no madness cards. Yes, you definitely want to have one of each. Definitely a column A, column B card. Yeah, for sure. All right, next up is a deck near and dear to my heart, which is blue, green tokens. This is super sweet. We've already talked about a lot of the cards that are good here. They made our either like honorable mentions list or our literal top 10. That's Junkwinder and Fey Offering. Those are big pulls into this deck. But another card we haven't talked about yet is Combine Chrysalis. So this is green, blue for an artifact. Uh, it's an uncommon. Creature tokens you control have flying. And then it has two green, blue tap. Sack a token, create a 4-4 green beast creature token, activate only as a sorcery. And in this deck, turning a treasure token or, you know, a squirrel token into a 4-4 beast with flying is insane. This card feels like a must deal with. Like you you almost, you have to deal with this first before you can start worrying about dealing with the beasts. Yes, for sure. So I'm trying to go after this deck hard if I see one of those three. There's there's lots of support at common. I mean, it's mostly hard evidence, but it's there's lots of support at common. Um, it's often a good home for splashing, uh, for like converge payoffs, or you get an affinity sub theme. I've liked blue green. I've found to have a lot of little, not only as we talked about this macro synergies, but a lot of little micro synergies. Um, it's a really good home for filigree attendant. That's the two blue, blue flying artifact, which with power equal to the number of artifacts you control. You know, if you've got Fey offering popping off, this can get large and in charge in a hurry. And then the support for it. So we talked about those headliners, the support for it. Well, hard evidence is bread and butter, single blue sorcery, make an O3 crab creature token and make a clue token. So two tokens in one for just one mana. We talked about sweep the skies, right? That's the converge card that makes a bunch of thopters. Uh, Glimmer Baron, which is really only good if you have Fey Offering, but if you have Fey Offering, it's really hard to deal with in combat. That's the green 1-2 that lets you sack a token to get plus 2, plus 2 until end of turn. Um, also a free way to trigger that little Ravenous Squirrel as well. Um, Orchard Strider, very nice here. That's the 6-mana six 6-4 six that makes two food tokens when it comes into play, but also has Land Cycling, uh, the Scurry Oak, and a card we haven't talked about yet, Squirrel Sanctuary is nice here. Single green for an enchantment. When it ETBs, make a 1-1 one, one green squirrel creature token. And whenever a non-token creature you control dies, you may pay one. And if you do, you get to return the sanctuary to its owner's hand. So a way to, you know, stuff dies, you rebuy it, make another 1-1 one, one squirrel, turn that squirrel into a 4-4 four, four beast with the chrysalis, you're off to the races. So let me throw this thought at you and see what you think of it. I have found a little bit in the world of tokens that there's there's kind of two camps. There are the... Things that care about clue, food, treasure, like artifact tokens. And those mm -hmm. tokens really enable you to maximize artifact synergies as well as token synergies. And then there's also like the making squirrel tokens, making O3 crab tokens, and like making a body creature type synergy that aren't artifacts. And they're a little bit two different worlds from what I've seen as far as the synergies. I guess I would agree with that. I just think the make artifact token stuff is so much better. Like Fey Offering and Tireless Provisioner are so good and like kind of explosively insane. And like the, I forget what it's called, but there's the the crab enchantment maker, like the, the, the one in a blue enchantment, you can pay one to discard a card to make an O3 crab. And then it has delirium, your crabs get plus one plus one. I have found that more like an enabler for you know, mill or discard synergies in blue black than it is like, I don't really want to play that in my blue green tokens deck. 
I don't really care about 1-1 squirrels that much in my tokens deck. Like I'm happy to play cards that make them in a like efficient way, like Scurry Oak or Sanctuary, but it's I, I'm much more interested in the artifact version. Yes, I agree completely. So for example, a card like Specimen Collector seems like it should slot right into blue. Yeah. Right? That's, the, that's the four and a blue 2-1. You make a 1-1 one, one squirrel and you make an 0-3 crab. But that's just way worse than cards that make treasure or clues or food in my experience. Yeah, I would agree with that. I have not drafted that card yet. I've seen it a lot. And every time I look at it, I'm like, this just looks clunky as all get out, you know? Yeah, it just really doesn't do a lot. So I think if you're doing token stuff, prioritize the things that make artifact tokens. And then that's not necessarily true because there's black green decks that care a lot about making squirrel tokens or tokens, period, because there's a lot of things to just do with making tokens. But there are slightly two different worlds of tokens. And I think it's important to be aware of that. And you can already hear like the different flavors or the different ideas about like color pairs influencing where we're seeing different cards be good. It's like, yeah, I don't want this crab token maker in my tokens deck, but in my blue black deck, I'm happy to have that, you know? Yes, for sure. And then the last deck we're going to take a look at here, more beating down from me. I I did not (laughs) get to do a lot of sweet stuff the first week. Uh, Red, white, modular aggro. So key cards here. We've talked about extruder and steel dromedary being gas already. That's the 4-3 that lets you sacrifice artifacts to put plus one plus one counters on things at instant speed. And then the dromedary is the camel that moves plus one plus one counters off its back onto other things. Headliner here as the gold uncommon is Arcbound Shikari. This is one red, white for a 2-2 modular with first strike. And when it ETBs, you put a plus one, plus one counter on each other artifact creature you control. That card has been super impressive. If you curve one drop, two drop into Arcbound Shikari, it's a very strong start and a very resilient start, right? Because your opponent then has to have three removal spells for you to not end up with this gigantic modular creature. Um, So that's been very impressive. Other cards that are pulls into the deck, anything with artifact matters that's a rare. Urza Saga is nuts in draft, not just broken and constructed. Um, so if you don't know at first chapter taps to make a colorless second chapter you can do two tap make a construct with power and toughness equal to the number of artifacts you control and then third chapter you get to search your library for an artifact card with mana cost zero or one and put it onto the battlefield so the thing i missed about this at first glance is that you can activate to make two constructs you know over subsequent turns on chapter two and before chapter three goes off and then if you do that and go get a mere scrappling your constructs are at a minimum like four fours, plus you probably have some artifact lands. The card is dumb. And then at, speaking of dumb cards, Nettle Cyst is also insane. Uh, this is three mana for a living weapon equipment. So when ETBs, you make a zero zero germ token and attach Nettle Cyst to it. And the equipped creature gets plus one plus one for each artifact and or enchantment you control. And it only has an equip cost of two. So that card is another insane pull into any sort of artifact matters deck. Um, and then the, the red-white common here is Foundry Helix. This is a one red-white for an instant as an additional cost to cast it. You sack a permanent, which is frequently a card with modular to move some cards around. Um, and it deals four damage to any target. If the sacrifice permanent was an artifact, you gain four life. It's just a great way to close out the game because, you know, you're aggressive, you're getting in some chip damage, and then oftentimes a Foundry Helix or two to your opponent's dome is enough to close out the game. Yeah, the, the other insane thing, as you mentioned with modular, is that Foundry Helix not only can be a closer, but it can be a removal spell. Like in combat, you go sack a thing with modular. So now this is not only a removal spell, but a combat trick too. Like this card can be busted in the right deck. Yeah. And if you're playing red, white, you need to end up with a lot of red and white artifact lands. It's very important to have artifact mana to make your affinity cards cheaper and just to give you things to sacrifice to Foundry Helix. It's also going to gain you for life, you know, later in the game if you don't care about your lands. Powers up Urza Saga, Nettle Cyst. Like there's just a lot of cards that care about artifacts. Yeah. It feels like this deck, you know, issues the general philosophy of like don't play tap lands in your aggro deck and limited because you're going to have one drops in this deck. But I think that the, the power of the artifact lands outweighs that. Yeah. And then past that, you just want modular cards. I mean, if, if it says Arcbound in the name, chances are it goes <laughs> in red, white aggro. I think the most important one is Arcbound Prototype. That's the one in a white 2-2 two, two at common because there's not a lot of good twos and it is the best one. And then two other cards that slot really well. We've talked about Lens Flare. Um, that's the deal five with a single white, assuming you have four artifacts. That's four and a white affinity for artifacts. Another card that's been super impressive is Blacksmith Skill. A single white for an instant target creature gains hexproof and indestructible until end of turn. If it's an artifact creature, it gets plus two plus two. So this is sort of like 
combat trick plus you know dive down in a way and a lot of times you do end up with a lot of modular counters on one creature that you want to protect with blacksmith's hammer see not only is blacksmith skill great as a trick has been said but i knew you weren't reading it because you said target creature it's target permanent so you can protect you know enchantments if you want to with this card it, it, it can do so much at just single white mana I didn't know that. Yeah, card really has overperformed. I think. Yeah, the the red the red white modular deck has impressed me a lot. Yeah, it's just very resilient too. Well, and another thing is like this is a it's a deck that's like, hey, if you get some uncommons, you can really do the thing. But a lot of the commons also work towards a goal at a pretty powerful rate. Yes, and they all make each other better, which is what you want in this format. Mm-hmm. All right, that's as much info as we can get out there. I, I am <laughs> exhausted. I'm so excited to go draft Modern Horizons too. Also, this format is so good. Yeah, it's a really fun format. And I'm, we're not that many drafts deep, you know, I'm probably like a dozen or, or so or whatever, you know, I haven't been playing it that much. Um, and so I still think there's a lot to discover. And I'm excited to then bring that to the table in the coming weeks. Yeah, for sure. But big picture, take good cards and then build synergy around those good cards. Thank you, as always, to Salty Pretzels for our intro and outro music. Make sure you give it a listen. Thank you so much to ChannelFireball.com for sponsoring this podcast. Uh, if you're heading over to CFB for any and all purchases or signing up for CFB Pro, please use the code LOL when you check out to let them know we sent you there. You can check us out streaming. I'm at twitch.tv slash Lord Tupperware. Ben's at twitch.tv slash Mr. Metronome. Looking forward to seeing your new stream set up in your new apartment, Ben. Uh, we're both under those same usernames on Twitter, and you can tweet at the podcast at Lords of Limited. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later.